Welcome to Alive. This is Christina Redkill. Today we have part two of our conversation with Friedjof Capra. He is an amazing systems thinker and also a great professor. During the last episode, we explored a systems view of life. This time, we will talk about patterns of connection and how that relates to a systems view of life. This is also the title of Friedjof's latest published book. Well, recently, I put together all my papers and gave them to the University of California. There's a special library in Berkeley called the mm -hmm. Bancroft Library that houses archives of writers and scientists and others. And it's a great honor for me to have my papers in this library at It took me several months to put together my collection of correspondence and notes and books and papers. And I discovered that there were many articles that I wrote over the last five decades, which somehow never made it into any of my books. The ideas I discussed never made it into any of my books. There are other articles that were published in journals that no longer exist or magazines that are difficult to access. So I decided to put together a collection of essays and this was just published as Patterns of Connection and at least essential essays from five decades. From the early 70s on to up to 2020, I have a whole series of essays which really show the evolution of my thinking over those five decades. And in order to make this evident, I have a narrative that connects the essays. So they are grouped in 11 chapters according to the subjects that were in the forefront of my mind at various periods. And then I have a connecting narrative that gives the philosophical context and the historical context. And I have never been a pure theorist. Social change and improvement has always been on my mind in parts of various social movements from the late 60s on. And so this book, Patterns of Connection, is not only an account of the evolution of my own thinking, but also of the history of various social movements beginning with the so-called counterculture in the 1960s, then the New Age movement in the 1970s, then green politics in the 1980s, and the emergence of a global civil society in the 1990s. So I've been part of all these movements, and therefore this book also gives a history of all these movements. You're providing the context, right? A context of how a system's view of life evolved. What else would you like to say about patterns of connection? It's very personal. So, the first chapter is about my philosophical roots in the 60s. The second chapter is about modern physics and Eastern mysticism, the early discoveries, the early articles I wrote about that. Then, after the publication of my first book, The Tao of Physics, I talk about the implications of the new physics, 
And then really the shift to the life sciences, very much influenced by Gregory Bateson. I have an homage to Gregory Bateson as one of my essays. Um, the early synthesis that are published in The Turning Point, and then as it evolved over my other book, The Web of Life and The Hidden Connections, up to the full synthesis in the system's view of life. But always, you know, articles that are sort of in between. I have one about the nature of peace. I have an article about comparing health and peace. I have an article about the roots of violence in American society and things like that never made it into any of my books. It's a very personal book and it was very interesting and also quite emotional for me to uh, revisit the evolution of my thinking and the emotional times I went through in, in various periods. So in a sense, it's a very personal book. It is not a summary of my worldview, but rather a personal account of my intellectual journey. And I was surprised, I was often surprised how these essays often show the evolution of my thinking long before acceptance by the academic and political establishment. Yeah. And how about that article regarding COVID that you wrote last year? Did that fit yeah, in? Actually, what happened was I was finished with the manuscript when the pandemic suddenly burst upon the scene. And so I put the manuscript away. I was not quite finished, but almost. And I put the manuscript away and concentrated all my energy to understand the COVID pandemic. Then I realized that the coronavirus must be seen as a biological response of Gaia, our living planet, to the predicament that humanity has brought upon itself, the social and environmental crisis that humanity has brought upon itself. We know today that the coronavirus originated in an ecological imbalance, massive intrusions into ecosystems that were disturbed. And because of this disturbance, the coronavirus jumped from a species of bats to humans, just as the AIDS virus, HIV, jumped from monkeys to humans. And we also know that the spread of COVID-19 is especially strong in dense populations, which are often the consequence of excessive profit maximizing and excessive social inequality. So there is a social dimension to the COVID pandemic. And in the long run, we will not be able to overcome these pandemics because there have been several now. COVID is not the first one. Not be able to overcome them till we regain some environmental and social balance. And it's one phenomenon that shows us very dramatically that social justice and ecological balance go hand in hand. Think that, that here in North America and in Europe, about half of the population is now vaccinated. But in poor countries, the rate of vaccination is less than 1%. You know, new variants will arise in those countries. And if we don't spread the vaccination in a socially just and equal way around the world, we're not going to overcome the pandemic. So social justice and ecological balance are very closely linked. Well, that's a systemic perspective, of course. And how would you talk about the systemic perspective more broadly? 
Well, I would say that understanding the world in terms of networks, which is the systems view, also means understanding it in terms of communities. Social networks can also be understood as communities, and communities are especially important today for many reasons. If we want to achieve a sustainable future, we have to create and nurture communities because nature sustains life in this way by creating communities. If we want to engage in transformative learning, learning that not only gives us some information but changes us as persons, as human beings, this is easiest done in a learning community. So community is also important for that reason. And there are many other reasons. So I would say learning communities, the best way to really absorb the system's view of life. Very happy that with the Capra course, I've created such a global learning community, which is still growing and evolving. I just made an association here between your learning communities and what you talked in the previous episode about the cognitive aspects of life. Yes, this is another one of the deep insights of the system's view of life, which mm -hmm. is Umberto Maturana, that every living system is a learning system. Learning is intrinsic. Just as every living system is creative, so every living system is a learning system. Listen to Fritlov's favorite poem by Vlaclav Havel. He loves to share this poem with his students and alumni. The kind of hope that I often think about, I understand above all as a state of mind, not a state of the world. It is a dimension of the soul, and it's not essentially dependent on some particular observation of the world or estimate of the situation. Hope is not the conviction that something will turn out well, but the certainty that something makes sense regardless of how it will turn out. Thank you for listening. Please share, subscribe, support, and rate this show and all those amazing things you do with podcasts. Just go to alivepodcast.net. Engage with Alive by recording your questions into pod inbox forward slash alive. This show celebrates the wonders of being alive.